How do you like JD? JD hold, holds it. He does a five-second hold. <laughs> JD has a five-second hold. I, I, I do love Pastor Jim as a brother. Uh, we have a connection. I love those connections. That's a lot of times why we come to places like this. I also give honor to my real brother, who sits right back there. It's the first time in 45 years he's heard me speak. He's had a great influence in my life. <clears throat> we shared the same room my whole life. Spoke truth to me. Late into the night. Pounded truth. We come for great introductions. We come for love. But you come here for truth. And you got to have people in your life that are bold enough to speak the truth. So thank you. Imagine your Bible. Look at your Bible. Look at it. Imagine a book that you were just given today that myself and 39 other authors started writing in 418 A.D. Me and 39 writers started writing this book that you have today in 418 A.D., 1,600 years ago. There's 40 of us total. Of the 40 of us, we speak three different languages. We live in three different continents. Imagine the 40 of us who speak three different languages over the last 1,600 years. Canada, United States, Mexico, Chile, Brazil, Peru, Venezuela, Costa Rica, Russia, Turkey, Japan, China, South Korea, 13 countries. All 40 of us are in 13 different countries. Speaking again, three different languages, over 1,600 years. That's the same exact blueprint of the Bible you hold. This book that's given to you, the Book of Truth, was written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors, three different languages, 13 countries, three continents, and people for the last 2,000 years and beyond have tried to destroy it, contradict it, conflict it. You can't. It's the truth. It's the truth. I may not want to have heard what my brother told me. I may not want to hear what the Bible tells me, but I'm going to tell you it's the truth. The truth at the end of the day, no matter what we want to say, has to be the truth. I live in a world of truth. I've been involved in law enforcement since I was 18. I live in a world of what's. What happened? What's their name? What car do you drive? I, I live in a world of what's. I, I love the book of your why is greater than your what. That's one of my top five. We're well aware of that. It's an incredible book. But you can't get to the why until you find out what happened. Well, this is what you did. Why? The what. That's where truth comes. 
Because the what doesn't change. It's facts. Just like this book. The same book that you hold today that you can buy at a Walmart was gifted to you all these years later. Why? Because it's a book of truth. So turn to me, if you will. Ironically, it just happens to be the book of Mark, my brother Mark. Mark 10, verse 46. And as you go there, you see it on the screen, I want to take you to what's happening. This is deep into the ministry of Jesus. Deep. He's got his following, and they're traveling from Jericho back to Jerusalem, which is about 18 miles away. The reason Jesus and the large crowd is going is because they're about ready to have the Passover. It's a festival. So they're traveling through Jericho. It's a, it's a baller town. It's like going from Fenton to Flint, about 18 miles away. This is where everybody gathers. And here's what happens. Mark 10, verse 46. It says, they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. First time Jesus was ever publicly called the son of David, right there by a blind man, who had nothing to offer. Jesus didn't say, oh, no, I'm not. He accepted the title. Many rebuked him, told him, shut up. Be quiet. He shouted all the more, son of David, repeats it. Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, get on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Let's park it there for a second. Let's, let's get the scene here, okay? Distractions all aside. What you got going on this afternoon, what happened last night, all that aside, right here, let's park it. A blind man in Jesus' day, anybody who wasn't what we are was cast aside. These people weren't given anything to survive. There were no civil places for them to go. There were no buildings they can go get fed. There was nothing for them. They were seen as a curse. They were ostracized, they were kicked out, and they sat. And a cloak is like this jacket. They covered up at night because it got cold. It was their security. But at the time of begging right outside of the gate, they would lay it out, and they would accept their offerings. That offering that they would accept, the almsgiving, that's how they survived. They would collect it. They don't want coins bouncing here, bouncing there. They put it in a cloak. And they begged. They begged. Talking to people all day. That's what his job was, to beg. All these people rushing by, can't see him. You can hear him. You can feel the energy. Can't do anything. All you're hoping is that sound of change hitting your clerk. So maybe that brought up together will be able to provide something for you so you could survive. This cloak proves to be very important in this factual event. Not a story, factual account of what happened with the blind man. He's there every day. He hears the commotion. At that point in Jesus' ministry, it is a wildfire. He's turning everything upside down. For thousands of years, 
They've heard about the Messiah coming, the Messiah, the Messiah. Boom, he shows up. People start freaking out. Some people say yes. Some people say no. Some people go all crazy. He goes in. He starts doing miracles. He creates an energy, a buzz. People know, even if you don't agree with them, Jesus is in town. There's a huge crowd gathering. He's walking with them. The blind man, think of this. He's there. He's at his post. He does what he's been doing for decades. He hears what's happening, and he cries out, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, gives him a title. You know what that means? He's saved. He's saved. He recognizes Jesus for who he was, the Messiah. He's trying to gather attention. The people around, I've been there, okay? We've all been there. Sometimes we can be a jerk. Sometimes in the church world, we can be jerks, right? People don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't go where we go. We get a little cold shoulder. You know, they don't work in the same jobs. Maybe they work at the restaurant you're going to go to. Just, they're not like us. You know, we can be kind of jerks. And they were. Hey, shut up. Be quiet. Jesus, the one that can save you, is walking by. Shh. What do you mean? I ordered extra large. You gave me a large. I just came from church where Jesus can save you. Give me my extra large. We can be that way. I worked in the restaurant business. Yes, you can. He's hollering out. The people around said, hey, be quiet. What does he do? He shouts louder. Anybody tells you to hide the gospel and be quiet, shout louder. Shout with your actions. Shout with your, lo- your lungs. Shout with your voice. This is the time for you to see the gospel by your actions and your words. He shouted louder. Caught Jesus' attention. Now you got to know, Jesus didn't get caught off guard. It was like, oh my goodness, there's a blind man over there. Not at all. This is something that when you cry out, he hears. When you cry out, he hears. The louder you cry, the more intense you are. How big is your what's going on in your life? How, how big of all the stuff that's, that's happening, all these things that are going on, the, the what's, how big is that really for you to cry out? It's just something you're like, you know what, I, I can cry to handle myself. I don't need to cry. Okay, God, do you hear that? I do need some help. Or is it so important that you are crying out with everything you've got? He did that. He was told to be quiet. He shouted louder. Caught Jesus' attention. He looks at him. He says, call him. Imagine that moment. With all the crowd, he goes, boom. Call her. Call him. Put your name in the blank. Because if you're saved by grace and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ died for your sins, he called you by name. And you answered. There's people in this room that he's been calling and you ain't answering. There's people in this room that have come here and thought, you know what, I got this what? I don't know what's going on, but I need something. I don't want to hear it. I know all the, I know all the crowds running and people are saying, I'm just going to listen to the world and shut up. And he's calling you. It's exactly what he did to the blind man. Come here. This is the best part of the story. The blind man gets up. This is awesome. Listen to this. Gets to his feet. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Do you think Jesus didn't know? You don't think he, he, he had a, 
a surprise when he saw the, the cloudiness of the blind man's eyes. Maybe the eyes were deformed. Maybe they were calloused over. In today's world, we wear sunglasses not to offend other people. There's no sunglasses in this day. Somebody who was blind was clearly blind. You could see exactly what he needed. You ever deal with somebody or in your own life that you can see the exact need and they're blinded? Of course. What do you want me to do for you? He responds, check this out, the blind man said, Rabbi, teacher, Rabbi, I want to see. That's it. I want to see. He would not have asked that question if he didn't believe Jesus could restore his sight. You heard Dina say, what is your want? What, what is it you're out there? What is it? Be specific. Your need is specific because that need for him to see wasn't about the visual sight physically, although he was healed. It was about that he was in blindness and now he has life. Now he has truth. Eventually the blind man's going to die. He doesn't live today, but you know what? He lives eternally because he was blinded by the world until he accepted Christ, acknowledged his existence, accepted him as a savior, his rabbi, and he got sight and life for the rest of his life and beyond eternity. That's the real sight. There's people that walk around blind all the time. And when Jesus comes and you see him face to face, you feel that presence, you feel that, he's going to ask you, what do you want? See, he doesn't move. We're jumping all over the place. I want to see. You know what he wants? I want the truth. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know what they do? They tell you what happened in Jesus' ministry. You know what John teaches you? Why? I mean, you can go, just as a side note, you can read the, the feeding of the 5,000. It tells you exactly what happened. John tells you why, because he's the bread of life. He's the light. He's the I am. The, the, the whole thing of who Jesus is starts with what he can do in your life. When the blind man heard the call of Jesus, everything that he had, he folded up, and the Bible says he threw his cloak to his side. He didn't have anything to do with it. He didn't need that. He didn't want that. That was the old life. He had Jesus, and that's all he needs. That's the story of the blind man. Bartimaeus, but it doesn't end there. See, he was given that sight. When a man or a woman asks specific, a need, a want, I want you to hear this. There is no shame in being specific. The Bible says, Philippians 4, listen, bring your needs to the Lord. Be anxious about nothing. Bring them to me. Lay them at the feet. Look at all the blessings he's already done. Ask. Sometimes you don't ask. Sometimes we're a little nervous. Well, I'm going I'm to work you through that here in just a quick second. Because when you ask, he listens. Check this out. Jesus said, 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received a sight and followed Jesus along the road. Listen to that word. Immediately. His sight was restored, and what did he do? He followed Jesus along the road. 
This whole story of the blind man is the story of you and I. We were born blind. Our sinful nature. Somewhere along the line, we had this world stuff that we kept together. Until one day we heard about this man, Jesus. Whether you were five or 50. And you said, you know what? I got something in my life that nobody can ever give me. Nobody can restore my sight. I hear about the buzz. I see him coming. It was here at church. It was at camp. It was at home. It was at dinner table. Truth hits. What do you want? I want freedom. I want to see Jesus in my life. You throw your old world beside. You become healed. You have sight. You follow Jesus. That's the walk of a believer. It is. Simple. So now the question is, what is the criteria of me asking for things? Well, number one, you got to be part of the family. The Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But you have to be the one who calls out first. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart Christ died for your sins, and you will see. You will be saved. You will see the truth. Starts with that. Because the walk of a believer has a lot of distractions, has a lot of cloaks set out there. I'm speaking myself, too. A lot of things that we put out there that the world gives us security from. Throw that stuff aside. When the world says, quiet, you get louder. And you follow Jesus. You follow. What does following mean? That means that all your decisions now, as now that you're a part of the family, have a criteria. Number one is what you're doing, what you're saying, where you're going, who you're talking to, God honoring. God honoring. See, Bartimaeus was obedient at the time that he asked for a sight. Obedience means you're making decisions that honor God. Pastor Jim, he is the pastor, the shepherd of this flock. When you see him outside of this and you see him, Doesn't he command just a little bit more honor and respect? Absolutely. Why? Because the position of authority that he's in. There's a bit more honor. You're going to stand up a little straighter. You're going to talk a little different. You're going to be a little different because he demands. His presence has that, that respect, that honor that is deserving. I don't have to sit here and explain to you or explain to me what God honoring and not God honoring is. That's pretty clear. Let me tell you when it's not God honoring, when you don't want anybody to know. When all of a sudden you say or do or or go someplace and you're like, then you know that you're probably not where God is honored. If what you're doing, where you're going, and what you're saying is obedient life is blasted on these screens. Like, oh, look at that. Look at that text conversation. Look at that website. Look at that. It's probably not God honoring. We could go on and on about all those decisions. Let me ask you this. If you ask enough people, as what you're doing, God honoring or not, you're going to eventually find somebody who says, go ahead, if it makes you feel good, right? You ask enough people. Ask the person you know who speaks truth in your life. They'll tell you. If you're wavering at all, just say, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm going. It's accountability. God honoring. Here's the second criteria. Is what you're doing constructive or destructive? What's the difference? Constructive means you're building what? You're building up. Destructive means what? You're tearing down. Simple. I mean, we're all struggling with different things. If what we're doing and where we're going 
is building the kingdom of God, is building your testimony, is building your confidence, your resolve. It's making you healthier mentally, physically, spiritually. If what you're doing is that and God-honoring, go to it. Go to it. Throw your cloak aside. Throw it all aside and say, I'm just going to follow you, Lord. Versus the other decision, which is not obedient, you don't want it plastered on, it's not God-honoring, and you know it's destructive. And what does destructive mean? Pain. So, you're in a relationship, and you're going like this. I can almost bet how you're handling that relationship is not God-honoring. Husbands and wives, the Bible's very clear on how to communicate with your spouse, how to honor them, how to act, what's your role, what's her role, how to make it all work. Parents with kids, conflict, destructive, pain, go back to the book. Lay it all out. It can tell you what you're doing is probably constructive or destructive. Very clear. Your personal decisions of what you do are crystal clear. They're not complicated. It's not meant to be complicated. It's a path. But what do we do in our human nature? We try to rationalize. We try to justify to think, you know, that's an old book, and it's got some great lessons, but they don't really kind of fit. And you ever hear somebody say, that was like the, those days. That's not relevant in today's world. This book is as relevant today as it was when it was written 1,600 years ago. This book is relevant more than anything that anybody can write in government, no matter where you are in what country. That's the Word of God. They're, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the, the, those are great things. Declaration of Independence, are you kidding me? We wouldn't be here with that. That pales in comparison to that because they use that book to write their documents. This is a living, breathing Word of God. This thing comes alive. If that's not part of your daily diet, if you're not meditating on it, you're starving. You're blinded. Your vision's cloudy. Go back to the book that's going to give you sight. That's obedience. Deuteronomy 28 says, when you're obedient, you're blessed. When you're disobedient, you're cursed. Be very careful with that. Because what you want in life, what I want in life, the things that we want, those things, they still have to pass the test of the will of God. People say, well, how, how do you know the will of God? Well, let's go back. Is it God-honoring? Is it constructive? Even if you don't see it, let's just say you're looking for a new place to go, a new job, a new house, a new something. Lord, this is where I desire to go. If that works, allow me to be a vessel to honor you in that the decisions I make are constructive to the kingdom of God. No matter what else, that's what you ask yourself. The person you're hanging out with, the words that you say, the things that you do, all those things. Is that the truth? Because the truth will always be the truth. When I do a homicide investigation, a shooting, a fatal accident crash, I ask, what happened? I look at the destruction. What happened? How do we put this all together? Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you that you've been dealing with somebody who has that destruction in their life. They've been begging. They're blinded. Speak the truth to them. Speak the truth. I don't know how many other blind people were next to Bartimaeus who just sat there and watched the same guy that gave him sight and said nothing. You and I have been blessed beyond measure. Just by being here, just by having the freedoms, and if you are saved by grace, you have eternal life. We have much to be grateful for, much to be thankful for. We've been, we, we've been restored. Our, our sight has been restored. Let me just tell you, that's a great 
example. That's a great factual illustration as to what happened for you today. I say this in all the events that I speak, you're not here by accident. If you have been blinded your whole life and have not cried out for Jesus, you have not sought sight, and you wonder why you're blinded, get up, don't listen to the world, and cry out to the rabbi. He will hear you, he will say, come forward, and he will say, your faith has restored your sight, and you are free. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you do have vision, remember, the same thing applies. Once his vision was restored, he followed Jesus. You can't just get something and not follow through. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, there's no retirement in your salvation experience until the day you die. If you have been blinded and been given sight, follow Jesus every day, every hour, every minute. He is the breath of life. He is the bread of life. He is the truth. He is worthy of you to outspeak Anybody in the world who tells you to shut up when they ask you what makes you tick. I've been saved by grace. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. The truth is within me. I don't like the truth. The truth stands. The truth isn't correct politically. The truth stands. I don't think this is right. The truth stands. He is the truth. Have you committed to the truth? Have you cried out to him? Have you thrown your cloak aside? This is your question you ask yourself. If you've done that, follow through with the Jesus walk. Follow through with walking every step, guiding people with you, holding people's hands, having people hold your hands. Cling to the church. Cling to the people who've cried out. Other people that have been blind and now see. These are the church, not the building. The blind that can now see. Follow Jesus and he will give you truth. Truth.